And we're going to continue our study on marriage. We are in lesson number five in our study on marriage. And this has been good uh, for me. It's been good reminders and helps. And, uh, you know, one thing that that really dramatically changed when our family moved to uh, Kansas from Arizona um, and, and got an actual home. We were living in an apartment when we were married in Oklahoma City is that uh, I, all of a sudden I inherited this responsibility that I had no idea what it entailed, and that's caring for a lawn. It's really a rite of passage in a man's life, I feel like. And so, uh, I, you know, in Tucson, um, I don't know if this is a surprise to you, there's not many grass lawns in Tucson. In fact, you know you're in a rich part of Arizona when you see grass, because those people are willing to pay for a lot of water, and water's more expensive out there because of uh, some of the shortages and things like that. And I learned really quickly that if you're going to have a good lawn, and you know what I mean by a good lawn, right? That does not happen on accident. It is a ton of work, at least to get it established, and then it's a lot easier after that. I mean, there's clearing weeds, planting seeds, sod sometimes. That's cheating in my book. Watering, chemical management, mowing, leveling if you really want to get into the fine details of good lawn care, and a bunch of other stuff. I'm telling you, I'm on some Facebook groups because it's kind of a, a thing I want to be a hobby. I haven't quite gotten there, but um, the the amount of work some people put in their lawns is pretty, pretty impressive, <laughs> okay? And, the, and, and sometimes uh, hilarious. At our first home in Liberal, uh, 215 West Walnut was our address, and we had a very small front lawn. It was the perfect way. It was a training lawn. It was like training wheels for lawn care for me. And uh, the lawn I got there was just complete garbage. I mean, you had a little bit of grass around the perimeter, and then the middle of it during the winter was complete dirt, and then uh, during the spring, it would fill in with lots of beautiful varieties of weeds that you would mow over and mow it short enough so it just looked green, kind of like the grass. And so that's the lawn I inherited. And I set to work to try and fix that thing up. And I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just kind of figuring out by myself. And so I started pulling individual weeds. And then I realized this is a lot of pulling weeds. So I got out a big monster rototiller and tilled up the whole thing. And then planted some Bermuda seeds, watered those, um, and, and, and wouldn't you know it, after several months, and really two seasons after planting those seeds, um, now just bear with me here, I'm, I was proud of this, uh, this is what our lawn looked like. It actually looked like a lawn, praise God. You know, it didn't look like a weed patch, and uh, I, of course, like any guy, in a I think in a non-sinful sense, I was very proud. I was like, yeah, you know, actually didn't kill something. I made something live. Well, we moved down the street uh, one house over. Actually, you could see the brick facade. That was the house we lived at next after we had Nora. Um, had another bedroom. And so we moved over there, and I inherited another weed-infested lawn. Um, unfortunately, the faucet out here didn't work, and there was no irrigation, so I just gave up, you know. Um, but the guy after me who moved into this house cared for the lawn, worked on it, watered it, mowed it, weeded it, all that stuff. Uh, really, it, all the advice I got was just water and mow, water and mow, and you'll, that'll take you pretty far. Well, after he left, the next tenant after him wasn't so concerned about the lawn. Um, unfortunately, 
uh, mowing was very sparse. Watering was non-existent. And if you've been around here the last few years, uh, there's not a lot of water coming from the sky, you know? And so unfortunately, this beautiful lawn, or at least halfway decent lawn, turned into that. Now, you know what's funny is all of you are not surprised that when the lawn wasn't watered and the weeds weren't cared for and the chemical management wasn't done, it's not overly surprising that it turns into that, right? But you know what's interesting is that we uh, intrinsically believe that a good, healthy lawn requires regular care. I mean, you drive by a neighborhood with nice grass and you say, there are people in this, this house who care about their grass. You know, they invest some time in it. And all of us have that one neighbor, I think, who's just like a little bit over the top with their lawn care, right? And, and so we recognize that this stuff takes work. And yet, I think sometimes we can recognize that principle that health requires weeding and watering in our lawn care. But when it comes to marriage, it's as if we expect our marriages to blossom beautifully without the daily work of pulling weeds and watering seeds. This morning, what I want us to do is I want us to just dive, uh, dive into this next principle of marital health. And here's the commitment that stands at the core of what we'll talk about today. And it's this commitment. This is the commitment I want you and your spouse to make in your heart. And as a Christian, really, this should be your commitment as well. Like I said, these are gospel principles. And it's this. We will make growth and change our agenda. As a family, as a couple, as a person, we will make growth and change our agenda. And the way I want to talk about this idea of necessary growth and change in your life and in your marriage is by using the idea of pulling weeds and watering seeds. Pulling weeds and watering seeds. Let's talk a little bit about pulling weeds. There has to be some weed pulling if you're going to have a healthy marriage and even a healthy life. And what I want you to see is in Jeremiah 110, uh, the Bible gives us this principle that God's equation for healthy change requires uh, destruction and construction, okay? Healthy change requires destruction and construction. Notice God's words to Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter number one. He's explaining to Jeremiah, Jeremiah's job in producing revival in the kingdom of Israel. And he says this, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out. Does that sound like weeding? Root out. To pull down. What does that bring to your mind? It reminds me of demo day, baby. Pulling down. We pulled down some walls, didn't we, fellas? To pull down, to destroy, and to throw down, and to build, and to plant. Notice that the building and the planting can't come unless there is rooting out, pulling down, destroying, and throwing down. 
And this principle runs throughout the Bible, right? You remember in our Winning the War in Your Mind series that Paul, I think, maybe is alluding to this verse when he says we need to cast down strongholds in our minds. There are unhealthy things that must be rooted out and destroyed before they can be replaced by healthy things. Now, understandably, Jeremiah isn't talking about marriage here, right? But the principle at its core is that healthy change requires destruction and construction. So if change was to take place in the kingdom of Israel, here's what God is saying. Before the good stuff can happen, there has to be some plucking up and tearing down. And God is saying that there needs to be some things that are eradicated in the lives of the people of Israel before the fun stuff happens. And we saw this as well in the chapel remodel that were underway, right? There had to be some destruction before there can be construction. And I'm excited next week, not this coming week, but after Thanksgiving, our general contractor starts coming in and doing his stuff. And so we'll start seeing the building up and the planting of that process. But we had to do some destruction, right? Now, here's the truth in marriage. Change is needed in every one of your lives. There's not a single married person in here that doesn't need change. The New Testament's very clear that God is is so committed to changing you from the day you're saved until the day you're translated into heaven. Now, I'm looking out at a crowd. I don't see anyone who's been translated into heaven yet. So what that means is that God wants you to change. Now, nobody likes change, right? Have you heard that saying? No, people don't like change. Well, I tend to think people like the building up part of change. They don't like the rooting out and tearing down part of change. But you can't have one without the other. So there are things in your life and in your marriage, some weeds that you need to pull down. And if you don't change the things in you, in your situation, in your relationship, then change will not happen. You want your marriage to be better? I hope all of us want it to be better. Things have to be rooted out before the good stuff can happen. There needs to be passion in your life for managing weeds. Listen, if you're gonna manage weeds in your lawn or Miss Joy in your garden, you've gotta get your hands dirty. You can mow and you can water without getting your hands dirty. But you cannot weed, really, without getting your hands dirty. And so some of us, what has happened is we work around the weeds and we mow over them and just let them sprout out and we mow over them again and we kind of ignore them and we've never dealt with the real issue. So I wanna talk about a couple weeds that you might need to pull out of your life and your marriage this morning. Here's the first one, selfishness, selfishness. Selfishness manifested itself in our marriage pretty early on. I remember uh, Shelby and I, when we were, in college, we were both in college at the same time, both working 30, 35 hour a week jobs and all the bills were on us. And as you can imagine, money's pretty tight. When you don't have like a full-time career job, we're both bank tellers. And uh, in those days, bank tellers got paid a little bit less than they do nowadays. 
And um, so we're both bank tellers, and we're trying to live a life together. And we had been given advice, and I would pass the same advice on to you. Um, It's real simple. But I was told by a guy who did our premarital counseling to do everything in our power to have one date night a month. Pretty achievable, though most people don't do that, okay? One date night a month. Well, when I heard that in our marriage counseling, I thought, do you have any idea how broke we are? <laughs> you know, come on, bro. You know, you don't have any idea. And he said, it's not about a fancy dinner. You know, go wherever you want. So uh, on our date nights, we went to fairly cheap restaurants, right? So we went to, well, what is definitely not now a cheap restaurant. If you've been to Panera Bread lately, they charge stupid amounts of money. It's so silly. So we went to Panera Bread and we were so broke that we really wanted to have like a dessert pastry, but we couldn't afford two. So we split one and we got this chocolate pastry thing. I'm trying to picture exactly what it looked like, but I'll never forget. And even Shelby, uh, you could talk to her about it. We'll never forget that in the middle of that pastry was a big giant almond. Okay. But we're splitting this pastry. So we're, you know, we both got a fork and we're doing that or we're ripping off pieces. And I remember that without asking and without even thinking about it, I knew what I was doing, but I just went on ahead and bit into that thing and ate the entire almond for myself. Yes, sir. That's my almond. (laughs) And it didn't generate a fight. I think because Shelby was so shocked that I could be so silly and selfish and eat that entire almond. And listen, Shelby, if you don't know this, loves almonds. I don't, I, it's, she has an outsized devotion to almonds. And so what, what that was was a great picture of, of the selfishness I was bringing to our marriage. I thought of Mike first. I didn't say, hey, can I, do you want any of this almond? I didn't say that. What did I say? Nothing. I bit that whole almond and chewed that thing up like it was my property. It was not shared property. I think a lot of us, we take the same approach in other areas of marriage, and it creates these weeds that hurt our lives. Listen to some weeds that may show up in small, simple ways. Perhaps uh, instead of an almond, it's a leap for the best cookie a quick movement toward the best seat in the TV room, the the change in the channel to what you want to watch instead of what they want to watch. Maybe it's in a conversation with friends. It's you taking control of the conversation and dominating the conversation. Perhaps it's pouting, so you get what you want. You go to the restaurant you want. You get the decision you want. Maybe it's arguing too hard to make sure you win or doing something nice and making sure that they notice. Perhaps it's being too busy to be bothered, not volunteering to help or taking offense too easily. Perhaps it's wanting the one who hurt you to hurt as well, or presenting yourself as more spiritual than your spouse, or sorry to break it to you ladies, taking your good old time when you know the other person is waiting. Men do this too. Really, what we have to recognize this morning is all of us have selfishness. Some of us have more selfishness weeds in our marriage than others. But I would challenge you this morning to root them out because selfishness really is the DNA of sin and it will infest your marriage. Here's another weed I think we need to root out and it's busyness. Busyness. Many marriages have died because of busyness. Busyness. 
And what a silly, silly thing to ruin a marriage. I think this is more true of some marriages than others in here. Uh, And it's more true of some seasons of life than others. Uh, We've got a, a range of different life stages in here, all the way from retirement down to no kids and everything in between. And I've noticed that there are seasons of life that have been more busy than others, right? Having three children that are young was more busy than having no children. Um, I've had several people tell us that one of the blessings of having a a lifelong marriage together and raising kids and then being together after that, which, by the way, a lot of divorces happen after the kids leave the home, and uh, but one of the blessings of reaching that next phase is that you have a lot, uh, normally, a lot more time together. You're not managing a job and kids. You're managing mostly your job, and then you've got each other. Retirement, obviously, you get more time together. And I'm not saying that those things aren't busy at all. I'm just saying that life, certain life stages in marriage can be more tough to deal with this weed. But it is a weed. The truth of the matter is, is that many marriages, like many lawns, are not well kept because it takes a lot of time. A lot of people, they don't, they don't pull out weeds or mow their grass. I have a neighbor who, you know... <laughs> It's funny, like the grass gets so, so tall and then they, you know, scalp it. Because you know, life is busy, but, but listen, it, it, that busyness, you have to recognize it's not as though that should have been a surprise to you when you committed to your life. And the marriage vows you said when you married your spouse probably sounded something like this. I had a wedding I did yesterday and repeated these. You'd say something like to have and to hold. It takes time. To love and to cherish, that takes time. And those type of things don't happen in micro moments. Like you can't can't love and cherish someone like ships passing in the night, okay? This requires an investment of time. But a lot of us in our marriage, uh, what happens is because of busyness, we make time in our marriages for the essentials, Let's communicate logistics, what's going on with the kids, who's picking them up, who's dropping them off, where are we going this weekend, are we eating at this person's house or at our house, do you need me to get something from the store? Friends, listen, love is not built on those type of communications most of the time. That's the bare minimum. That's just being a human. That's not being a spouse. I have logistical communications with people all the time. We don't love each other deeply. We're just trying to take care of business. And so for so many people, because they're busy, because they're busy, marriage becomes a business, right? They're managing the, the time and the schedule and all these different things. But, but listen, the type of communication, the type of love that makes marriage a real relationship always happens in the downtime. It happens in the downtime. Now, again, I recognize there are some stages that are harder, work schedules that are harder. But listen, listen. Number one, you have to make time, not hope that time shows up. You have to make time. You have to make time. I would encourage every couple in here, and I think all the healthy marriages in here would say that this is part of their routine. You need to have a time for regular communication that is more than just logistics. 
okay? So like the first 10 minutes of your conversation is always going to be logistics, you know, catching up. The real, real bonding happens after that, after that. Some of you are like, I don't need to talk. Well, maybe your spouse does, and maybe you need it more than you think, and you're just self-deceived, right? We need to make time for communication. Sometimes that can be really hard. I'll be honest, for, for our, our marriage, uh, other than the occasional time Shelby and I might spend time together away from the kids, uh, we've got a trip like that in January. Um, for us, that's why we are like bedtime Nazis. Because, and why we were really intentional about sleep training our kids so that, you know, they're not waking up five times a night and going to bed at midnight or going to bed at this time or waking up at 5 a.m. The reason that we did that is because that 8.30, 9 o'clock to 10.30, 11, that's our time. Now, as our kids get older, we're going to have to reshuffle that, right? Because, you know, I'm probably not going to put my 18-year-old or have my 17-year-old go to bed at 8.30. You know, I'm probably going to let them stay up a little bit. So you've got to reshuffle that. And you're like, I know couples in here. I, I've, I've gotten a text from a couple or two that they were talking about something in the message in the morning. Well, God bless you. If you're awake and alert and want to talk in the morning, good for you. Some of us, that doesn't work, right? But you need to find a time to spend time together um, I know another couple that they had a rule, and their kids, I can't remember how old their kids were, but when, when they came home from work, before dinner started, it was a rule with their kids that mom and dad are going to sit on the couch for half an hour, and you don't bother us. Why? Because we need to talk. Go play. Do your own thing. You don't need us every second of the day. By the way, parents, it's good to train your kids that they don't need you every second of the day. Now, obviously, when it's a one-year-old, they need you every second of the day, but as, as life gets older, they don't need you as much, and you need to train them to be less dependent on you so that you can have your own life and relationship with your spouse. Here's the next week. Inattention. Inattention. Think of your physical body. Wouldn't you agree that healthy people, I'm not saying skinny people, I'm saying healthy people. Healthy people are healthy because they pay attention to their body. I'm not saying looking at the mirror. I'm saying that they pay attention to what they eat. So when they go through the line at Golden Corral, they're thinking about what they're putting on their plate more than someone who's not healthy. True or false? All right. Okay. All right. Consensus here. Right? They don't expect to be healthy without paying attention to their inputs and their outputs. They need to pay attention to their habits. And the same thing is true with marriage. Inattention will lead to lack of health. Promise you that. There's an old saying that I think applies well to marriage, and it's, you've, you've all heard it. An, alpha, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And that's true in marriage. Right? Think about this. <clears throat> It's inconvenient, and it costs money to go get an oil change in your car, doesn't it? What is it now? 30, 40, 50 bucks, something like that. You got to do it every couple months, and you, know, you got to look at the mileage and look down there. It takes time, and it takes investment, right? And it seems so small, and nothing really bad happens when you ignore an oil change normally. But if you ignore too many oil changes, what happens, Sid? Your, your car dies, <laughs> Yeah, you're going to bust your engine, man. Valve or something's going to mess up. And so you have a choice in your marriage. Are you going to invest the little bits of time that are 
um, investing in your marriage or are you going to wait until your engine blows up to, to deal with your marriage? I'm telling you, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I know a lot of people are really urgent about their marriage when divorce is on the table. They're really urgent about their marriage when they yell at each other every day. Can I just help you? You ought to be a little bit more urgent about your marriage before those things happen. And if any of that's happening right now, you need help more than you probably think you do. And there's always one spouse who's in denial in that situation. Most marriages end up in bad spots because they fail to put in the amount of work that they're going to need to put in when their marriage wasn't in crisis mode. We invest in our marriage before it's in crisis mode so we never have to be in crisis mode. It reminds me of what uh, Jesus said to the church at Ephesus in Revelation 2. What was their problem? He says, you've left your first love, right? But what did Jesus say to that congregation? Repent and do the first works. So if we want our first love, we've got to do the first works. And that's not just true in your relationship with God. That's true in your marriage. And I think that a lot of spouses have left their first love because they've forsaken the habits that made up the first works. Things that they did early on in their relationship have long since disappeared. Date nights, attention to what makes the other person uh, radiate with joy, caring about the other person's interests, watching the game even though you don't care. Going, come on guys, going to the store even when you don't care, right? Things like that are investments in our marriage, finding ways to spend time together. Listen, I'm just going to give you a piece of advice because I've been here sometimes in our marriage. If your spouse is always the one who's asking to spend time together, take that as a monster red flag. You should be thinking about spending time together, not just them. I wonder if there's someone here who are paying the price of their marriage for neglecting the first step of good relational gardening. Maybe your unity and love and understanding have been choked out by the weeds of selfishness, busyness, and inintention. Now, let me give you encouragement this morning. You may look at, at your, your lawn and your marriage and say, a lot of weeds. It's overwhelming. I know that feeling in lawn care, and I know that feeling in life. But no matter how weedy your marriage may be, Remember that God meets you in your difficulty with his amazing grace. I told you what the Bible says, or sorry, not what the Bible says, what all the lawn care people say. Want a healthy lawn? Pull out your weeds, water the seeds. What I want you to see is that the Bible encourages us to water seeds. That spiritual and relational progress always requires positive habits that we build into our lives. So I, talked, I told you about Jeremiah 1, positive progress and change always requires destruction, right? But on the other hand, we can't just take out the bad stuff. Now we've got to replace it with the good stuff, the positive relational habits. Now I, turned you, I told you to turn to Galatians 5. Look at verse number 16. This works on a spiritual level too, right? What does Paul say in Galatians 5, 16? 
don't do bad things and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Is that what he says? No, what does he say? He says, do the positive thing. Walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that's interesting, right? Paul's saying, if you wanna, if you wanna not deal with sin, the best, way to pr- the best way to get rid of sin is to work on walking in the spirit. So invest in walking in the spirit in your life so that you can forsake sin. Now, all of us think of this in a personal spiritual context, right? My private relationship with God. But notice this, that Paul's command in verse number 16 happens in a context of relationship. In Galatians 5, Paul is addressing church people who are inconsiderate of one another. Look at Galatians 5.13. We'll examine this a little bit more. But notice that in the context, he's, he's challenging these believers to by love serve one another. I think verse 16 is parallel with it. We walk in the spirit, we serve one another, we build positive relation, relational habits so that we can get rid of the weeds. And that's true in lawn care, isn't it? The best defense against weeds is not just your chemicals you sprinkle on your lawn. It's a tightly ingrained root system of healthy grass. The tighter your grass grows together, the less you'll deal with weeds. That's why it's not enough if you're trying to revitalize a lawn to just kill off the weeds. You have to water the grass because as the grass gets healthier, its uh, roots get deeper. They spread wider. They lock together. And when they're locking together, the weeds have a harder time sprouting up. And the same thing is true in marriage, right? If you want to, you need to nurture your marriage Nurturing your marriage requires a daily commitment to serving each other in love. That's what Galatians 5.13 says. By love, serve one another. Now, there's a lot of different points of application I could give you when it comes to serving your spouse. I'm going to give you, I think, three here. Okay? Here's one. Relieving burdens. Relieving burdens. Think about this. At every home, every marriage, normally and formally, we've settled on a, a kind of a job description, okay? I would guess that 90% of the time, there's a certain spouse that takes out the trash, right? I could be wrong. Most marriages, it's like that. There's a certain person who does more of the laundry. There's a certain person who does the predominant amount of cooking in most homes, right? Some, sometimes it's guys, I'm a terrible cook. My, my mom has told me that from a very young age. You're a terrible cook, Mike. You better find someone who can cook because you're really awful at it, you know? And I said, thanks, mom. Love you too, you know? So, 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 so there's always a division, right? But here's what I think is, is the negative side of that, okay? Um, it's one thing in a workplace to say, you know, like Sid, Sid works on planes. There are separate people whose job it is to refuel the plane at the airport normally, right? That They hire for that. Okay, it's, it's, it's a good thing in a workplace to understand the division of duties and job descriptions, but that doesn't help in marriage all the time. This is a relationship, not a business. And so what happens, one way you can serve your spouse is ask yourself this question, when was the last time I crossed over and checked something off their list? Think about that. And this goes both ways, men and women. When was the last time 
I crossed over and checked something off their list? When was the last time as a spouse I identified that there's, there's some things going on in their life, maybe they're sick, Maybe they're weaker than normal. Maybe they're busier than normal at their job. Maybe they're bearing the burdens of emotional stress more than normal. And so the, the amount of duties that they're assigned, I'm not, I, they didn't ask me to, but I know they could use some help. And so I'm going to check that one off their list. That's what we call serving one another. We're checking items off the other person's list. When was the last time, men, you checked something off your wife's list? Ladies, when was the last time you checked something off your husband's list? Because here's all of you are thinking, boy, I wish they would check something off my list. No, <laughs> you can't control that. That's not helpful to think that way. How about you start by checking something off their list? Check something off their list, okay? Here's the next one. Expressing love. Now, I'm going to make a, an assumption that might be dangerous, but I, I, I think it's probably a, a pretty easy assumption. I assume everyone in here loves their spouse. Fair assumption? Guys, this would be a really good place to, like, shake your head or say, hey, man, praise God, you know, yeah. You all love your spouse, okay? I, I, I believe that. I know that. That deep down, you love your spouse, okay? But here's where, where we get caught up in expressing that love. I'm, I'm not about to just harp on saying I love you, though you should, okay? I'm saying that where a lot of us fall short in expressing love, and you might write this down, that we normally express love to our spouse in the way that makes us feel loved, Okay? We normally express love to them in the way that makes us feel loved. So just give you an example. What makes you feel loved? Well, when someone helps you out, right? Some of you, when, you, when I'm talking about division of duties, you're like, praise God, I, I need some help around our house, right? And so what you're naturally inclined to do is say, I'm going to love my spouse by helping them out around the house. And then you get frustrated because they don't recognize how much you do for them, right? But what you might not realize listen, is the, the highest form of love is not just loving someone in the way you think expresses love. It's loving someone in a way that they think expresses love. And let me give you a warning. God, in his great sense of humor, normally puts two people together that have completely different, I love how one author articulates it, love languages. So men, you don't care for one second if someone gives you a pat on the back. You're just doing your job. You know, that's how you view life. I don't need a pat on the back. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. But your wife's like, why isn't he telling me thank you for every meal I cook or every time I do something for the kids? Why didn't he thank me for that gift? Not just when he got it, because everybody does that. Why didn't he thank me the first time he put that shirt on? You know what I mean? And so some of us, we're really bad at expressing love and appreciation because we're just not, that's not how we're wired, but they are, and here's what love is. Love is thinking of others above yourself. It's thinking about them. And so men, for some of you, you need to ask yourself, what makes my wife feel loved and express love that way? And I promise you, it's the hardest way possible for you. 
You don't like serving other people. You want everyone to serve you, but yet your wife, what her love language is, is help me out, bro. Right? Her love language is get me a gift every once in a while just because you love me. Her love language is speak words of affirmation and kindness to me. And the, the, the shoe always goes on the other foot. And so what I want to challenge you to do is when it comes to expressing love, recognize don't just express love how you think love should be expressed, but express love in a way that's most meaningful to them. Are we on the same page about that? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. Here's the next one. <clears throat> Some of you are like, I've got these two down. Pastor Mike, I say I love you. I help out. I, I, I affirm my spouse. I'm, I'm relieving their burdens. Okay. Well, this one might be a, a you know, step three for you. And it's this, surprise and delight. Every marriage could use a little bit of surprise. Not the surprise where you buy something expensive without telling your spouse. <laughs> Not that surprise. Not the surprise where you spring plans upon them that they had no time to plan for. Not that kind of surprise. No, what I'm talking about is that one of the greatest markers of proactive watering in marriage is how often we step out of the routine to bless our spouse. Now, all this is convicting me, just so you know. But this can happen in financial ways, in non-financial ways. Because all of you are thinking, he's going to talk about bringing flowers home or whatever. Yeah, that's one. It could be a surprise date night or dinner. Um, it could be something so small, like stopping at Sonic and getting them their drink and dropping it off at their work. A few flowers, heaven forbid, when it's not a holiday or anniversary. Did you know that there's a flower section at the grocery store 365 days a year? Did you know that? They have flowers all the time, not just right before Valentine's Day when every man in Garden City is crowding upon the stores. They have flowers other times. But you know what? For some of us, money's tight. Like, I can't do that. Join the club, Right? Maybe you might write this down. Even when money is tight, you can surprise and delight. Even when money is tight, you can surprise and delight. You can bless someone unexpectedly without spending a dime. Sometimes it could be a text while you're at work, even though you never talk while you're at work, just to tell them that you're thinking about them and that you love them. It could be that you give them a hug or a kiss, not just when you leave the house, but some other time. Surprises are important and are a good way of showing that you're putting in more than the minimal effort. They're showing your spouse that they're not a project that you manage, but a person you cherish. They are little things that reap a huge reward. I'll never forget that first lawn I had. I'll never forget it. Because... As I was rototilling that bad boy, I thought, this is, this is not worth it. Let's go the Arizona way and rock this thing. You know what I mean? Just put some weed barrier down, throw some rocks down, and spray the strongest chemical I can buy at a store. That seems a whole lot easier than managing this grass stuff. I want to encourage some of you, if you're looking at your marriage and you say, there's a lot of weeds here. My grass is really, really thirsty. It's a lot of work. 
I want to encourage you and remind you that just like my lawn, there was a short season of extra hard investment. But when I put in that short season of extra hard rebuilding and investment, the maintenance was so much easier. And I think the same thing is true in marriage. If you found yourself in a bad spot, it's going to take extra work to get yourself out of the hole that, can I say kindly, you put yourself in. Not them, you put it in. You put yourself in that hole. It's going to take extra work to dig yourself out of that hole. But after you dig yourself out, it's a lot easier to water and weed after you've reestablished a lawn. I'm not saying that you can just set it on autopilot, but it does take more work. I want you to look at your handout and say, what weeds do I need to pull? What habits do I need to instill to water? Maybe this week you could ask your spouse, in your opinion, how would you describe the condition of our relationship? What do you think in our marriage could use some improvement? What if you said, what weed do you think is wreaking the most havoc in your marriage? And what plan are you going to implement to improve that? Find a way to implement one of the positive habits we talked about and watch how it, it slowly, it takes time. It takes time and you won't even see it as you're watering. But then you'll look back in like three months and be like, oh wow, my watering actually helped my grass. That's how marriage works. We gotta pull weeds and we gotta water seeds. God bless our marriages in this room. Bless our relationships. Every relationship we have in life has the same dynamics. Help us as Christians to serve one another by the love that your son Jesus put in our hearts. I pray that there would be a willingness to do the hard work of reestablishing healthy marriages. Give grace and courage to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen.